Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. What I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to talk about something that, uh, as an eldership team, we are feeling uh, and uh, that we processed with our church family on Sunday night at our um, family meeting, our members meeting. And then I'd like to, in one sense, preach into that uh, on the back of it. So um, it's quite a practical thing that I want to bring to us, and then I want to preach Uh, on the back of that, about faith and how we respond to God. So on Sunday evening, we shared uh, something really quite important, some some important things generally uh, with our our, um, church family. But one of the things that we uh, spoke about over the last 10 years since we planted Trinity Central, everything that we have done has been in rented venues, our Sunday meetings, our prayer meetings, our training evenings, our socials, our worship band rehearsals, our conferences, everything we have done have been either in homes or in rented venues. And a number of years ago, we had a prophetic word about that God would give us an armory one day. And um, an armory is uh, the base of a military unit. It's the place where the administration happens. It's the place where the training of the troops happens. Uh, it's the place where you store your equipment and your weapons. It's a, a gathering point, and it's the base uh, of operations that you go from uh, to your operation, and it's the place that you come back to uh, when, your, um, when your operation is finished. And uh, we feel that it is time uh, to move forward into that promise of God. Uh, to us as a church. Now, uh, we're very glad to say that Cineplex has just uh, renewed their three-year lease of this building with the owners of this building, and uh, we're hoping that very soon we will be able to renew our lease with them. Um, We are also very excited and praying for Um, a a new contact that we've had with the Montessori over the road, uh, at the the church over the road, uh, that possibly we might be able to get in there with our kids. And that would be a huge blessing for us. That would mean that we could have three classrooms for our kids. Uh, We have over 70 kids in the church, uh, as as I'm sure you're aware (laughs) Um, and we would love, we need more space for our kids. And uh, so I'd love to ask you to pray for that, that God would give us favor with the church over the road and with that Montessori school, that we might be able to get back in there. That would give us two classrooms over there and a classroom over here at the Montessori school behind us. Um, With that in mind, what we feel is not to be looking for a Sunday venue to to buy, We feel like we should have, in that sense, something that's an armory, a a place, a base for our operations. And uh, just recently, a uh, 2,000-square-foot property came on the market on Willow and 16th. Uh, It's on the market for $2.5 million. 
which may sound like a lot, but obviously in this city, it's not a lot of money. Um, and uh, because of the zoning, which is for synagogue or church or school or some form of gathering, um, it's significantly cheaper than if it was zoned for business. And uh, so we feel that we should go after this building uh, for our administration, for our training, for our prayer meetings, for our worship rehearsals, as a hub for connecting with the community around us, maybe mums and tots and uh, all kinds of ministry things could be run out of there during the week, for our youth, uh, for things like CAP, um, which would need offices to be based out of CAP's a, a financial ministry, helping people get out of debt. Uh, now, we're not necessarily saying that this is the building. We don't feel like God has spoken to us about this building specifically, but we do feel like it's the one that has come to our attention, and we feel that in line with the promise that God's given us, we should go after it. So we are asking God at this point for $2.7 million, uh, which would include the fees and the renovation costs of the building. And there are three scenarios that we've talked about. The first scenario uh, is that we would say, let's give together. And somehow in the process of us giving together, God gives us $2.5 million dollars. Uh, seven dollars, $2.7 million, and we are able to buy the building outright and to refurbish it. Uh, option number two is that we would get uh, over 35% of that $2.7 million, which would allow us to uh, have a down payment, uh, uh, and, and then we would need to raise about a further $12,000 a month uh, for a mortgage. And then the final option is that we get some money, but not enough to purchase this venue. And so we keep working towards something over the slightly longer term. Um, we're not expecting that we're just going to find $2.5 million floating around among us. We believe that God leads us into things not because we have the resource, but because he wants to show us how good a provider he is. And so we're not really saying, hey, church, we've got to come up with this. What we're saying is, would you partner with us in faith? And let's see what our God will do when we go into something with radical generosity. And so on the 30th of October, we're going to have a gift day, and we're going to see what God will do through us and with us. Is that okay? You up for that? Good. So I want to speak this morning about faith that conquers giants. In his letter to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul writes these words. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith 
for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The sense of two things that we understand of faith. First thing, we are saved by faith. We enter in to this walk with Jesus Christ by believing him. That's where we start. Our our beginning point is when we say, God, even though the world around me doesn't trust you, even though I've come from a place where I have not trusted you, this day I choose to put my trust in you, and from now on, I will trust you with my life. I trust you for my salvation. I trust you that you will take away my sin. What Dan brought out of um, that scripture reading this morning that he, he spoke about, that we receive the righteousness of God by faith. In that moment, Jesus Christ justifies us and said, I will take your sin and myself and I will give you my righteousness. Our sin is imputed to him and his righteousness is imputed to us. And God says, in this moment, I no longer judge you as a sinner. So we step in to Christ by faith. But then our whole life is characterized by a walk of faith. We don't start in faith and then work it out in human wisdom and human strength. Every single day of our lives needs to be Coming again in trust. Coming again in trust. I trust you. I choose you. I put my faith in you. Jesus, help me with this situation. It begins to reshape the way we see and think about everything. And faith continues to grow in us. Galatians 2 verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I live by faith. I don't just, I don't just enter by faith. I continue to live by faith. Faith is lived out every single day. And Hebrews 11 verse 6, the author writes, And without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the beginning of our walking with God is believing that he is good and that he's a rewarder. And every day we lean into that faith. We step into it. We say, this is true and I will believe you for this today as I live my life. Faith believes God. Uh, Sorry, faith pleases God. And unbelief is a scourge. It's a curse. Unbelief says to God, you are not able to do what you promise or you're not faithful to do what you promise. Either you're not able, you're not all powerful, or you're not faithful, your heart isn't truly good, you're not really an honorer of your promises. That's what unbelief says. Unbelief lands on one of those two things. You won't do what you say you will do because of one of those two reasons. So unbelief cripples us And what happens is when we begin to operate in unbelief, or when we've always operated in unbelief, we are consistently making decisions from a human perspective and trying to provide for ourselves, think things through for ourselves, be self-sufficient, self-ambitious, self self 
focused. And that's not where God wants us. Faith requires something of us. When God spoke to Abraham, he said, leave your father's household, leave the city that you're familiar with, and go. I want you to leave this place. And Abraham does something. He goes. He obeys. Later on, Abraham, God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your one and only son, the son that you love. I want you to place him on the altar. What does Abraham do? He gets up and he goes to the mountain to sacrifice his son. And, and God says to Abraham, now listen, don't lay a hand on this boy because that which I've just asked you to do, I'm not actually asking you to do. The only one who will ever sacrifice his son is me. But Abraham responds by faith and so becomes the father of everyone who has faith. And so I believe this morning there are three groups of people who are listening to this message. The first group are those who are living day by day by faith. You're experiencing Jesus. You're making faith-fueled decisions. You're giving yourselves to God in a meaningful way every day. You might be struggling with that. You might be grappling with it. But that's where, you're, that's where you, you're, you're living from. The second group of people is that you don't have faith and you've never had faith in Jesus. You've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus. And I believe you can do that today. The third group of people are those who would say, I, I come to church. I'm involved in the community. But the truth is there's no actual evidence of faith in your life. There's no reality of this shaping your decision-making, the way you use your resources, the way you come to relationships. And the truth is that you might be in the most dangerous place because in that sense you think I'm in, but there is no reality of faith. And it's faith that God is looking for. It's kind of like Rob read out the prodigal son this morning. And, and, and the prodigal son goes on to tell us about the fact that there's also another son who has lived in the father's house the whole way through his life. But when it comes to it, he does not have the father's heart. And we can be very close. We can be close in to the Father. We can be close into the family, but not of faith. And Jesus will say to us, apart from me, depart from me. I know you're not. Because it's by faith that we are known by God and that we know him. The righteous shall live by faith. Let me say this. If I am living a carefully curated life, which protects me from that which I deem to be uncomfortable and maximizes my pleasure, it is quite likely that I'm not a Christian. Can I say that again? If I am living a carefully curated life, which protects me from, which I, from that which I deem to be uncomfortable and maximizes my pleasure it is quite likely that I'm not a Christian. See, Jesus offers us a better way. Not a way to live comfortably, 
but a way to live purposefully by faith in him, the way we were created to live. And so this morning, I want to look at a a story which for many of us will be very familiar. But I want to look at this story and I want to draw some things from it. I'm just going to... um, Do you know what I'm going to do? Just for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize the story. I'm going to let you read it yourselves uh, at home, hopefully after the message. The story is that the Philistine armies have gathered for battle. And King Saul has led his troops out. And the Philistines have a trump card, a giant by the name of Goliath, who's been a fighter since he was a boy, massive, massive guy, a a, a guy who would be impossible for anyone to beat. And as the, the armies come into the valley and draw up their battle lines, Goliath steps forward. And he shouts out to the Israelites. He says, you servants of Saul. You servants of Saul. Interesting what he calls them. Interesting how he seeks to define their identity. You servants of Saul. He doesn't call them, you people of the living God. You servants of Saul, he says. Send a man to fight me. And if he wins, we will serve you. But if I win... You will serve us. And the Israelites flee in terror. They run back up the mountain. And day after day, the battle lines are drawn. They they both come down from their respective mountains into the valley. They face one another. And Goliath comes out and he begins to mock them. And he mocks their God. And he speaks uh, all kinds of things about them. And he says, this is who you are. And this is what your God is. And anyhow, young David is minding his father's sheep. And David, uh, David's dad, Jesse, says to him, go to the front, see how your brothers are doing, bring some food to them, and then bring me a report of how things are going. And so David goes off to the front, and as he arrives, uh, he, he runs to the front, excited to see his brothers. As he comes to the front, the armies are coming out to see each other, uh, to face each other, and Goliath steps out with his challenge, and David is shocked. And David turns to some men around him and says, who is this guy that he defies the army of the living God like this? See, David understands who he is. David understands who the people are. He understands their true identity. Who is this guy? Who is this uh, uncircumcised Philistine? He says, this, this person who's not part of the covenant people. This person who stands outside of the, the people of God. How dare he speak about the people of God like this? David says. Well, David's overheard. Um, and because Israel is in this place of uh, hopelessness, uh, they're, they're fearful Nobody will stand up. The king, the king who uh, we, we've heard, King Saul, is uh, head and shoulders above every other man in Israel. Big guy. <laughs> Terrified for his life. Rather than stepping up and saying, right, I'm the king. I'll take responsibility for this. He's running away. He's backing away with his guys. And so, so people bring David to, to, to Saul. And, and Saul, I, I guess, maybe Saul was hoping... Here's a guy who uh, is going to 
you know, maybe, maybe we found a warrior from somewhere else. Maybe somebody's come into our camp who, who's, 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 a, 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 who's got some, something to him. He's got some strength. And, and then David's brought in and Saul looks at him and says, oh, you're only a boy. What can you do? You can't go against this guy. And David says to, let me read you what David says. Pick up the this, this story in verse 31. Then the words of the Lord that David spoke were heard. Uh, when, when, the words of the Lord, uh, <laughs> when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant, and just listen to these words. Let them sink in as you listen to them, as you hear them. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. I bet Saul's impressed by that. <laughs> oh, you were a shepherd, were you? <laughs> yeah, this is good. This is a good start. You're going out against Goliath because you were a shepherd. That's great. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father when there came a lion or a bear and it took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard. I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Now, Saul tries to dress David in his armor. And uh, David can barely move. And so... He rejects the armor. He discards it. And we pick up the story in verse 40. Then David took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. I love the fact that it gives us those details. Hey, he's just about to go to war, but guess what? He's ruddy and handsome. Just want to let you know that. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his, by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword or spear. 
For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near and met to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and he struck the Philistine and he killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his own sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with him with it. Then the Philistines saw that their champion was dead. They fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose up with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. Father, we just thank you so much that you preside over us and that you are the God of the armies of Israel. You're the living God that we serve today. And so I pray that you'd help us to hear you. And I pray that this morning faith would stir in our hearts as we look at Jesus. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would rush forward in the way that you would have us rush forward into your purposes. In your mighty name we pray it. Amen. Now you know where I'm going with this, don't you? You know, don't you? You know I'm going to say, you and I are David. Goliath is the building, or the $2.7 million. We need to overcome that with our faith pebbles. It's all very neat, all very tidy. You've probably heard this... A story preached that way countless times before. But I want to suggest to you that this passage should never be applied like this in the first instance. It can be applied this way in the second or third instance, but not in the first instance. Before we can approach this passage and see ourselves as David, we need to step back and see something else. This passage is a picture of the gospel. You and I are not David. You and I are Saul and the terrified army of Israel. We are helpless. We are faithless. We are oppressed by a giant we cannot overcome. We are running scared. We are frozen into inaction and we are unable to deliver ourselves. Our Goliath is sin and death and fear and shame. And this Goliath speaks identity over us. Aren't you but slaves? Aren't you but slaves? Our outlook is bleak. Our future is certain slavery. And if we're going to understand this passage rightly, the first way we apply it must be the battle for our souls. As was the case for the Israelites, we do not or did not believe God. We did not start in a place of faith. We did not start in a place of saying, you can do all things and I'm going to trust you. That's not where we started. 
We started in a place of unbelief. It may be that you are still in that place of unbelief today. Israel had promises that God would fight for them, that God would rescue them if they would but turn their eyes to him. In whatever circumstance they were in, God would rescue them. Yet not a single one of the soldiers and not even the king was prepared to step forward on the basis of that promise and say, if you promised it, I'll believe it. I'll put myself on the line. Not a single one. Not a single one. And it's true of us. If they had turned to God, God would have protected them, delivered them. You know what's crazy about this? Is they didn't turn to God, and yet He still delivered them. And that for us is where we start. We had not turned to God while we were still dead in our sin. While we were enemies of God, Paul says, while we were children of wrath, that's when Christ came and died for us. We are unable to, con to, to conquer this giant. It looms over us with a power which we cannot compete with. Sin and death reigned over us. Our future was a foregone conclusion. For 40 days... The Israelites came out again and again and again. Forty is an important number in Scripture. Forty days they came out over and over and over again. And then God sends them a David. God says, you're dead in your sin. You can't, you can't trust me. But I'll send you. A David. I'll send you one who will do this for you. I'll send you one who will be the, the ignition of your faith. I'll send you one who will conquer the giant on your behalf and lead you in triumph. And so Jesus doesn't take on the world's armor. He doesn't do it the world's way. Actually, what he does is he lays down his life as a lamb to the slaughter. But in doing so, he utterly conquers the giant and cuts its head off. And just as Israel sees that Goliath has fallen, they suddenly shout out and they rush forward. So it is with us. Our great Goliath is down. His head is off. And we rush forward. To claim that which we did not win for ourselves. To be given the spoil of a war we didn't fight. That's what Jesus does for us. Jesus won the greatest victory. And because of that, the spoils belong to you and me. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? And so our application one is this. If you're, a, if you're not a believer, if you would say... I don't have faith. I've never put my trust in Jesus. If you would say, actually, I do all the right things. I come to church. I'm part of the community. But there isn't a reality of faith. I'm not living by faith. I'm not walking by faith. The wonderful news I have for you today is this. Jesus has won the battle for your soul.
I reckon we can applaud. That's good. Jesus has won the battle for your soul, and this changes everything. If you will rush into the battle, if you will step in, if you will come down from that mountain and rush into the valley and chase after the enemy, if you will do that, you will inherit the spoils alongside Jesus. Salvation will be yours. Fellowship with God, your Father, will be yours. Participation in his plans and his purposes across the nations will be yours with all the joy that comes with that. The power to conquer sin and to live for God, this is yours. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is yours. That you might live, that your heart might be changed, that you might live a transformed life, it's yours. Eternal life will be yours. The fellowship of brothers and sisters, it's yours. It's all yours. Everything. Everything that is his is yours and mine. God invites you into the battle. And that requires for you to leave the safety of trusting yourself. Of trusting your own wisdom. Of trusting your own provision. Of trusting that somehow you'll make it through and find a way. And to put all your cards, all your chips in with him and say, I have nothing but what he gives me. That's what faith is. It's what faith is. You and I are not David, not at the beginning. But because of the great David, because of Jesus Christ and what he does, he begins to change us. He begins to change us in such a way that we become David. And that's our second application. Maybe you're a discouraged believer today. Maybe you feel like you've been running backwards. You've been stepping away from the battle. And God wants to say to you this morning, I want you to lay aside your fear and your discouragement. I want you to lay aside your hopelessness. And I want you to re-enter the fray. You might say it's too much. It's been too hard. I don't think I'll ever see victory. Can I say, friend, put your trust in Jesus because he already has the victory. Turn away from your own understanding. Turn away from doing it your way. And surrender to him. Rush down the mountain and into what he has for you. The reason we find ourselves in this place is often that we've allowed sin into our lives in some little way. We've opened a, a door. Maybe it's a hidden sin. Maybe it's the way you're thinking, self-pity. You've been hurt by a brother or sister. You've decided to step away. You say, you know, I'll just stay on the outskirts. I'll just, I'll just participate around the fringes. I'm not going to get hurt again. I'm not going to step in. But that isn't the way of faith. The way of faith 
is fully in. And so I want to encourage you to come fully in. The second application, only once Christ has won your battle, can you become a David. When we give ourselves to Jesus by faith, the Holy Spirit begins to form Jesus in us. And he begins to change us. We begin to desire different things. I was, I was paddling yesterday uh, with a, a guy that, that I know, and um, we had a number of hours on the water just, com- just chatting, and, and he's a Buddhist, and he was sharing with me um, his Buddhist philosophy that, you know, you just need to take responsibility and you need to be a good person. And, you know, uh, uh, in the next life, at least you'll have a better estate. And, and if you keep doing it over and over and over again, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, what a hope is that? What a hope is that? And I said to him, here's my problem. I know I'm not a good person. And I can't get myself there. I need help. I need someone to get in the way of this with me. I need someone to change my heart. Because it's not a good heart. That's what I need. I need a Savior. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus is our Savior. And Jesus invites us into that relationship with Him. And through that, the Holy Spirit begins to change us. He changes our desires. He changes the way we think about our future. He changes the way we think about our relationships. He changes the way we think about our money. You know, in in the years that Cezzy and I have Uh, walked with Jesus, we've made loads and loads and loads of little faith decisions, day after day after day. We've also made a number of massive faith decisions. Can I just say to you that in those faith decisions, there have often been times where we've thought we've leapt and it hasn't felt like God has met us in the leaping. Uh, I shared a couple of weeks ago that we had moved to Vancouver and actually it all seemed to go wrong for us for, a, for quite a lengthy period of time. But hallelujah, Jesus has won the victory and to the winner go the spoils and we get to participate in that. The faithfulness of God is absolute. God will never let you down and you can never outgive God and God will always have the victory. And if you put your trust in him, if you go after him, if you align yourself with him, say you're the one that I trust, God will bring you through. And you'll experience joy in that place. Second Thessalonians 1 verse 3, Paul writes this. He says, We ought always to give God, thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. It's interesting that he says your faith is growing. Faith grows. Faith grows over time. It's like a muscle. You have to use it to grow it. If you stop living by faith, it shrivels. You start making decisions from a different place. You start making decisions from fear. You start making decisions from human wisdom. You find I'm a million miles from where I thought I'd be in God. It's interesting that faith grows 
in these small decisions, but God also leads us in exploits that are kind of moments that define us as we grow in our faith journey. And what I think is interesting about this conversation between Saul and David is that David shares something about his history with Saul. He says, the reason I can go and fight the Goliath is that one day I was out in the, sh- in, in, in the field with the sheep and a lion came along. Now, I don't know about you, but 35 sheep, lion, me, 34 sheep, it's not as good as 35, but you know what? You know, just have the sheep. Not a man of faith. A man of faith says, you're not coming in here. You're not getting one. I'm not losing one of these sheep. That's what Jesus said to his father. Father, I've done your will. I've not lost a single one of them, except the one doomed to destruction. Not lost a single one. That's, Jesus. That's what Jesus said about us. I'm able to keep you. I'm able to take you through. You can't do it by yourself. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. I love his, I caught him by his beard. You don't come near my sheep. You know. Boom, dead. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. It's all about God. It's not about David. It's all about God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me. See, I struck down the bear. I struck down the lion. But who delivered me? The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And this is the thing that faith does. It grows. It grows. And God gives us faith challenges along the way. He says, here, I'm putting in your way a faith challenge. And what he wants us to do is believe him and go through that faith challenge like the lion and then the bear. Because you don't get to the Goliath, you don't get to the giant until you've conquered the lion and the bear. You don't have the strength to do it. You don't have the faith for that. God wants to grow your faith. He wants to lead you in a track record of faith. And after Goliath comes leading a nation and expanding a nation. You see, Goliath is even only a part of David's journey. And God says to you, men and women, will you come on faith exploits with me? And this is not just for us individually. Can I say that this whole passage is about a people. The people of God restored into the purposes of God. Trusting Him again. Leaning into the things that He's doing. It's not just about your personal battle. It's about our track record in God together as a church family. God's putting faith battles before us. And he's saying, will you do the lion? Will you do the bear? Will you do the Goliath? I don't think this is Goliath, if I'm honest. 
I think this particular thing that we're talking about is a lion. I think the lives are yet to come. The question is, how do we respond? Will we believe? Will we go all in? Will we run into the battle alongside our great David? That's the question I want to ask you today. 30th of September, we're going to be, sorry, October, 30th of October, we're going to be taking our, our offering. I want to encourage you, come to give. Giants mock us. Will you ever have your own space? Will you ever have a home in this city? Will you ever have a church building? Mocks us. You'll never get in here. The giant roars out, your God isn't big enough. I control the territory. You'll die in poverty. That's what he says to us. What about your future? What about your inheritance? What about your retirement? Who will you trust? Who will you trust? The giant reminds you, your money is your own and you need every bit of it. God says to you, your money is mine. And if you put it in my hands, you will see what I can do. Our faith is going to require radical action from us, risk. David doesn't have much. He has five pebbles and a slingshot. Jesus says to us, will you come into the battle with me? Will you bring your five loaves and two fishes and let me multiply them? Will you step in? This is how we win the victory of faith. By trusting the one who is the victor and running alongside him into the purposes he set for us. Why don't we stand together? Why don't you just close your eyes? Just want to say to you, it's a beautiful picture has been put Ben put her down and she said, no, I don't want to go down from my dad. I don't want to be put down. Don't go up on that stage. It's because she loves her dad. She trusts his arms. Trinity Central, beloved family, God's inviting us into something with our dad, with him who owns everything. Lord Jesus, I pray for us. God, give us courage. God, give us boldness. God, why don't you lift your hands to him? Just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come on us. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit. Have your way.
Maybe you want to say that to him right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, have your way in my life. <laughs> Lord, I just offer everything to you. I offer our resources. Most of all, I offer my faith. I trust you, Jesus. Why don't you just say that to him? If it's true of you, 